Good morning, everyone. It's a delight to be with you this morning. Um, yeah, it's like being with friends, and it's, uh, it's nurturing and sweet for our family to worship with you. So uh, really glad to be here. Um, as uh, Pastor Eric mentioned at the beginning, um, I'm, my name is Jeff. I'm pastor at Boulevard Presbyterian Church, which is uh, a church plant of Lincoln Square and Covenant working together. So the vision that our churches have is that one of the ways uh, that we can love our city is by starting new churches that identify with particular locations, as you have with uh, Lincoln Square, as we do with Austin Oak Park, and seek to dig in deep uh, in those areas, in love and in service and identification for the sake of Christ. So it's, uh, it's really glad to, uh, really good to be with you this morning um, at Lincoln Square. So uh, we are going to be looking at a parable this morning from Luke 16, and uh, this is, I would say, an unusual parable uh, to preach on a mission Sunday. It's actually just flat out an unusual parable uh, to preach uh, at any time. I have this book uh, on, on parables written by this Episcopal priest, and each chapter tends to have like, a typical title of the parable, like the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the Good Samaritan. The title for the chapter on this parable is The Hardest Parable. Not really the encouragement I was looking for uh, in turning to that chapter, um, and I think we'll see why in a second. But what I think Jesus is up to uh, in this parable, as he is really with all of them, uh, is he's giving us a picture. He's giving us a story uh, that is to do its work on our imaginations. And I think in the case of this one, there's some uncomfortable and not clear work uh, that it has to do on all of us. But he, he gives us this parable as a way to, to depict and to help us imagine what mission is like in his kingdom. So uh, that's my prayer for us as we read uh, this parable together. It's printed in your order of worship. Uh, if you want to follow along, or you can just listen as I read from Luke 16. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I've decided what I will do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. This is God's word. It's given to us for our good. Let me pray uh, for God's blessing on this before we dig in deeper into this parable. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the good news that uh, we just sang about, that our labor is not in vain, that our suffering, that our strife, that nothing in this life is in vain because of Christ and what he has done. And I pray this morning that you would give us hope in that fact, that you would fix our eyes on Jesus, and that using uh, the story, the picture of this parable, that you would 
Move us from our ways of viewing and our ways of doing into your ways of viewing and doing. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus wants us to imagine a manager who works for a rich man. So probably the rich man is like an absentee landowner. He's, he's away from his assets, and he's basically taken his most trustworthy servant and said, you do as you see fit. I trust you with, with all my assets. Manage it. However, uh, after some time, it comes back to the boss's attention that this guy has been wasting his possessions. The, the word literally means uh, scattering. It's what, in the previous chapter, Jesus said the, uh, the younger son and the prodigal son parable did. He's been just scattering his assets to the wind. So the boss comes to the manager and gives him notice. You've got to pack up and leave. Before you do that, you have a little bit of time uh, to give an accounting of the records to me. Uh, I'm basically doing an audit. I want to know where things stand. But after that, you are out. So the manager knows he is in deep trouble. Uh, he, he has a reputation at this point, right? Word got back to the boss that he's a dishonest uh, waster of possessions. There's no way he's getting another managerial job. Um, as he says here, he is not strong enough to dig, and he's too ashamed to beg. So what is this guy going to do? Well, he comes up with a plan. He calls one of his master's debtors. He says, you owe 100 measures of olive oil, uh, which is, I looked it up, that's worth like three years of pay for a common laborer. So this, probably someone with a debt that size is hopefully not, uh, or to think of him as a common laborer, but it's a substantial debt. And he says to him, okay, you have 100 measures of olive oil as your debt, I'm cutting it in half, let's rewrite your note. He goes to the next guy, you owe 100 measures of wheat, that's about 10 years pay for a common laborer substantial. He says, rewrite your note for 80. And one by one, he goes through each of the debtors and trims their debt. Now, Jesus does not say what that trimming of debt signifies. And this is where one of the things that's hard about this parable, where we don't know for sure, uh, he may be trimming actual principal that's owed his master, in which case he's, he's kind of cheating uh, the boss out of this money. It may be that he is removing a managerial fee that he lopped on side of the loan. This was kind of his own cut that he's lopping off. It could be that he's simply removing some extravagantly high interest on these loans. And if that's the case, and many commentators actually think that is the case, uh, what this this otherwise dishonest manager is doing, he's actually doing something just. As we heard in uh, Leviticus, what Sarah read for us, God told his people not to build wealth on the backs of the poor through charging interest. So whatever this trimming signifies, the main point, however, remains the same. The manager is reducing debts. Why? He's reducing debts to make friends. He sees he has a little bit of time, and he has a little bit of power left, and he's using that little bit of time and power that he has to build a network of people who will be so grateful for what he's doing with them that when he is out on the street, he can look to them for help. He's hoping to get by with a little help from his friends. And what is so fascinating about Jesus' parable, and I think this is kind of the first twist in the parable, is that when the boss hears about what this manager has done, he commends it. Now, we're not told uh, that he hires him back on the spot, uh, right? I mean, this is a dishonest manager who has like squandered his property. Um, Probably he doesn't do that. 
Um, he doesn't commend him for his dishonesty, but Jesus says that the master does commend the manager for his shrewdness. I can imagine uh, the, the boss, uh, when he hears about the manager, you know, kind of arms folded, thinking, wow, you know, when push came to shove, that little weasel actually figured out what to do. He's a pretty smart little guy, as dishonest and as trustworthy as he may be. So that's the parable. And uh, I think we have to remember uh, at this point that this is a parable. This is not uh, Jesus' advice column uh, in the local newspaper. He's, uh, his intent is not to give practical advice about how to squirm your way out of a situation where you are caught squandering company funds, right? He is uh, telling a parable. He's telling the story of everyday social reality, what happens, and he's saying, of course, there is something unrighteous about what happens, what the as sons of light do, as he calls them in our world, what we do in our world. But if you will notice, there is something in what happens that is good and that is true and right and actually reveals something about my own kingdom. Now, I think with parables, the, 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 the homework assignment, if you will, is not that we quickly try to translate it into a couple of neat take-home points, right? I think the homework assignment is to stick with this parable, to go home and keep imagining it, to keep discussing it and get to layers and layers of meetings and over the course of our lives have this parable keep doing its, its parabolic work on us. So I could just close my mouth and sit down and that might be good. Um, but let me, let me leave you with a couple of starting points for us to continue uh, pondering this parable. So the first one is this. Jesus is, I think, first inviting us to see ourselves as stewards of wealth that is not our own. Jesus is inviting us to see ourselves as, as that steward, as stewards of wealth that is not our own. So in the paragraph after the parable, Jesus gives, uh, it's a block of teaching that is related to the parable. And one of the things that he says down in verse 12 is that he calls the wealth that we have in this world that which is another's. That all the stuff, all the money, all the stuff that we possess is that which is another's. In other words, it belongs to God, and he has simply entrusted it to us, to our stewardship for the time that we have it. Now, I don't have to tell you that this perspective uh, goes against how we tend to think of all of our stuff, of all of our money, Right? The, the narratives that I have that we, we tend to have in our culture is I worked hard, right? I, I went to school, I did the right things, I, I saved, you know, I was careful about my spending, I earned it, it's mine, right? It is, as we call it, my possession. And I do think it's important to affirm uh, that there are correlations between all those things that we can do, right, and wealth, right? There is often, and if circumstances are favorable, there is often a correlation between saving money and, and being able to, to build it up, or p working hard and being able to, 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 to develop wealth. And part of wisdom is recognizing that correlation. But in the way that this parable is set up and how Jesus is inviting us to imagine ourselves in it, I think also part of wisdom is to consider all that is not within our power that contributes to what we have. So for example, you are alive. Being alive is really helpful in making money. It's like step number one, be alive. 
Yet you did not will your own existence into being, nor have you sustained it. Uh, We're told in Scripture that life itself is a gift from God and that every breath we take is a gift. So sort of step number one uh, to wealth acquisition, being alive, itself is a gift. If you are healthy enough to work, and I know some of us are not healthy enough to work, but if you are, that is also a gift that you have, the ability to use your hands for work. Or think about all that we have inherited in our world, that we just sort of arrive on the scene and inherit. Uh, There was a couple weeks ago uh, the annual Open House Chicago um, event. I don't know if if you guys got to participate in it at all, but it's basically where several hundred architectural monuments all around our city are opened up uh, for free to visit it. And and going around and, and looking at these buildings, one thing that impresses me about them is that the majority, or not the majority, but a lot of these buildings were built before a single person now walking on earth even existed, right? That every person on the sphere right now, on earth right now, came and that thing already was designed and built. We just simply inherited it. And that, of course, doesn't just go uh, for buildings. That goes for things like electricity. I use electricity every day, yet I myself have never figured out how to harness the power of an electron, right? That is something I just inherited. That goes for the roads. I I, I drove on a road to get here this morning. I had nothing to do with the building of that road or the vehicle. I didn't design. I have no idea how my car works, basically. I know some of you probably do. I do not. Um, Food, I go every week to a grocery store and to restaurants, and yet my hand does not even come close to the agricultural supply chain. These are all things that are just givens in my world, things that we inherit. And you back up another generation or another one, and the same thing basically goes to them. You just keep going back and back and back until you eventually get to what we might call the ungiven giver, the one from whom all blessings flow. And you see that so much of life that we experience is not the work of our hands, but is a gift that we receive. So friends, we have been made stewards of resources that are not our own. That is true about money, but it is also true about time as a gift. It is true about skills that we have, about the homes that we live in, the talents we have, the relationships we have, the opportunities we're given. It is all wealth that God has given us. Every breath we take is a gift that God has called us to steward. As Paul tells the Athenians in Acts 17, he gives all people life and breath and everything. Every person walking on this planet is a steward of what is not our own. And I think when that reality starts to sink in deep in us, it leads to a couple of things. First, it leads to immense enjoyment and gratitude. Just, wow, God, really? Like, all this stuff, all these relationships, all these skills, all this food, all these these even cultivated places in which to live, all these opportunities of life, every breath that you give, wow, what a creative and wonderful and gracious designer you are. And then I think a second thing that when this reality starts to sink in, it leads us to wonder is this question, 
If all this is a gift from the real owner of it, how does the real owner want us to steward all these things? And that leads us to Jesus' main point, I think, in the parable, which he gets down to summarizing in verse 9. And it's this, invest your worldly wealth into making friends. Invest your worldly wealth into making friends. So at first glance, uh, you, you read that or you hear that and you think, that sounds maybe a little slimy, right? It sounds like Jesus is basically saying, buy friends. And indeed, if you look at what the manager in the parable is doing, that is essentially what he's doing. He's not forming genuine friendships. He's building a system of patronage so that he can benefit from it when he's on the out. And that is, I mean, honestly, a lot of the way that our friendships, maybe in uh, more nuanced ways, do tend to work in our world. That's what Jesus says the sons of the world do, what we all naturally do. There is something unrighteous about it. But Jesus nevertheless points to that phenomenon and says it also reveals something that is clever and wise and right. And what I think is shrewd, as Jesus calls it, what is shrewd about the unrighteous steward's action is that he is using short-term resources to invest in what is long-term. You see, money and all the other resources, all the other wealth that we have, our time, our homes, our health, our abilities, our gifts, all these things are short-term, ultimately. Like the manager in this very parable, one day all of our resources will be taken away from us. That may happen through loss. It will certainly happen by death. And like the manager in this parable, we will be asked to give an account to the boss. And so, Jesus is saying, use those short-term resources God has entrusted to your stewardship to make friends, because it is friendship that lasts into God's kingdom. By by highlighting that, that concept of friendship, what I think Jesus is doing in this parable is It's like he's lifting back a little corner on his kingdom to reveal what is at the the heart of his kingdom, that it is a place of friendship, that it is a place where people are in friendship with God and people from all stripes and clans and races and backgrounds, even current enemies, that they are in friendship with one another also. Jesus' kingdom and its foundation is about shared relationships. It's what God has created us for, and it's what he has redeemed us for. It's what he most wants for us, and it's what he has made us to thrive in. Now, that isn't to say that all the other stuff of life doesn't matter. It does. Our work, our bodies, our thought life, art, our money, it all matters. But I think Jesus is suggesting that the deepest meaning for all these things is found within a matrix of friendship with God and with one another. And that when we try to enjoy all that stuff of life apart, uh, ripped out of that matrix of friendship, it actually leads to isolation. It leads to us being us idolizing these things and those things enslaving us. Jesus gets down to it in a, a couple verses after the parable in verse 11 when he says, you cannot serve two masters. You either use money to serve God, or you use God to serve money. 
Those are the only two options. And that former master will give you eternal friendship if you serve him. The latter, if you serve it, will give you eternal isolation. And so Jesus is saying, do not live for wealth. It's deceptive. You will think that it itself is life-giving, but do not live for it. It is short-term, and it will disappoint. Rather, use wealth to live for God. That builds kingdom friendship. And specifically, as, as this manager for his own corrupt reasons perhaps did, forgive with a shocking abandon, like the kind of shocking abandon of a manager who knows that he has just got to do this. This is the mission that Jesus has put us on. Okay, so practically, what does that look like in our lives? I think the picture of this manager who's, who's scrambling to just to, to cancel debts, to forgive and to give, it, it gives this sort of this, this tempo and this urgency and this sense of desire and longing that is appropriate to Jesus' kingdom. And it's a picture of what he'll talk about in other places, of his kingdom's mission is to be marked by a generosity of shocking proportions, a giving and a foregiving that actually makes no sense in this world, but makes perfect sense in light of his kingdom and in light of the fact that God has made us stewards of all that he owns that we can simply just give it. For this, practically, this might mean giving to, with all of our resources, I mean, with, with money, with time, with investment of gifts and presents. It might be investing and in giving to organizations and, and people who are investing in people with an eye toward justice and mercy and the proclamation of a gospel that the true Lord of heaven and earth is a good master who rules with justice, mercy, and love. That's part of what uh, you as a church, we as a church, remember on Mission Sunday. That as a church, we are committing to, to, of the money that we have, just sending a lot of it out the door in support of people and organizations who are giving to others. It might also look like you personally doing that kind of shockingly proportioned generosity to individuals that God has placed in your life. The family members, the sisters and brothers in the faith, to neighbors, maybe even to strangers that God has placed in your path. Just um, a couple weeks ago, I experienced a really concrete example of this. I was on the receiving end. Um, it was a 6 a.m. Bible study um, that we do at Boulevard in a diner in Oak Park. We, uh, we open that place up, um, and it's usually just us in there. But a couple weeks ago, uh, we were meeting. It was about seven or eight guys, and uh, halfway through our time, the server comes over, and she says, someone has paid for your breakfast, just like that. And this person was gone out the door. Um, our Sherlock Holmes uh, detectiveness, we actually did track down the guy. <laughs> uh, he kind of overheard what we were talking about, and it turns out he's a member of another church, uh, another local church. So through their pastor, we were able to, to figure it out and express our gratitude. He was trying to not let the left hand know what the right hand uh, was doing in his generosity. But when, one thing that was interesting about it to me is that when the server came over and told us that someone had just taken care of our breakfast. I have to confess that a little voice in me thought, is that okay? Do, do we need to try to like run them down and, and offer to pay for it? <laughs> now that, that, that thought in me um, was quickly rebuked by the very action of the stranger. 
right? And then it was followed by the second thought, Jeff, do you really think you live in a world that you have earned? No, God's world runs on grace. The only option is for you to be on the receiving end. It's all a gift. And looking at this parable and and thinking of that incident, it's got me wondering that could it be that the way that God has made us all stewards, like the very way he's designed the world to be, right? That none of us, from the moment we're born until the moment we die in this world, none of us is self-dependent, right? We can't live that way. (laughs) We need others by our very nature. By the way that, that Jesus talks about how he is forming his kingdom, no one can be a lone ranger and survive by themselves, in the way that the church is described in Scripture, right? Each member is given different gifts. And no member can say to another one, I don't need you, right? By God's very design, we are created dependent on one another. We are created dependent on the giving and receiving of all the stuff that God has entrusted to our stewardship. And might it be that the reason that God has, has done this, that in His very creation... Might it be that such that every time someone buys a stranger a breakfast or shares a cup of cold water, that every time that someone in this world forgives a debt, that every time someone gives a place at their own table to another in their home, that every time someone sees and gives to the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the imprisoned, that every time someone puts herself at risk to stand up for another, That every time someone dies to their own schedule and says to another those most unique and treasured words, I have time for you. That every time someone shares good news of a king who gives freely to all of his own life. That God has made us dependent on this type of giving and receiving so that the whole creation is bearing testimony to the fact that we are ruled by a God who gives, by a God who is gracious in shocking proportions. And I think our uh, New Testament lesson from 2 Corinthians that we heard this morning answers that question with a resounding yes, because it points to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. That it is the Son of God, the the owner of the whole universe, who himself, with the urgency of a desperate manager, ended up giving it all away so that you and the whole creation could be welcomed into the arms of his eternal friendship. Our mission is to receive what he gives us graciously and to step and live out his own grace of constant giving with the resources that God has given us. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God of generosity, that you did not have to create us, that you don't need a single thing uh, that we could provide, but that you created us because you delight in giving and in sharing life. I pray that you would give us the light in you and in your gifts, and that you would model us after Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would send us into mission with the generous giving of all that you give us. 
our resources, our own lives, and the message of a gospel of a king who became poor that this world could become rich. We pray in his name. Amen.